I wanted Karen to greet you because the breath of God's going to blow in this room. She's been leading this movement called The Breathing Room, and we wrote a chapter in the new book. We wrote this new book together called Rebuilding the Altar, and God's kind of blowing our minds because it's sweeping the world, and we're getting phone calls from pastors and from leaders every single week saying, I'm going to restore the altar call in my church. But it's really about having an altar call in your home and the move of the Spirit. Share with them before I preach this. Now, Karen, I had to look at her on the plane yesterday. I said, Karen, this is my space, not Facebook. And she didn't think it was funny. He told me that I couldn't take all his time this morning. <laughs> so, But as we were in worship, I just stood over there and we were singing about, you know, the breath of God and coming in like a rushing wind. And I don't know if you understand that that's what the breath of God is. It's a mighty rushing wind. That no matter what you're walking through, no matter what you're going through, when you invite the breath of God into your life, it will literally come in like a whirlwind, like a tornado, like a hurricane. And it will literally blow out the darkness that is surrounding you. You know, the Bible says in Genesis 1, it says that the earth was formless and void. And darkness was covering the surface of the deep. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. I don't know if you understand, but it says the Spirit of God. That word spirit means breath. The breath of God was hovering over the darkness. And he spoke, he breathed, and the light came on. He breathed into the darkness, and the light came on. Are you getting this? Because Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, but the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And some of you, there may be darkness covering the surface of your life. But if you will allow him to breathe on you today, if you'll allow him to come in like a rushing wind, if you'll allow him to come in like a hurricane, then get ready because he's going to speak life into your darkness today. So get ready because there is revival in this place. This place is a birthing place for revival. And God is about to do something here. You have been praying. You have been interceding. You have been contending. And God says, I'm about to breathe in here today. And I'm about to turn the light on in some people's lives. So get ready today. In my own life, I've heard God say, Karen, you're going to get a phone call today. Your past called, and it's got nothing new to say. Because it's time to step forward into your destiny, into your purpose, into your victory today. To walk away from the, the, the disappointments, the shame, the, the, all the, the failure things in your life. And it's time to say, no more, enough is enough. Breathe on me, Father, so that I can truly live today in your presence. Give my God a praise. You may be seated. The Lord spoke to Karen and I when we were writing this, when we began to write the new book, Rebuilding the Altar, and it came out back in September. And, and when we, it was our fifth book. We had written, Why Is God So Mad at Me? I wrote that. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. Then I wrote, I Am Remnant, which swept the world. It went number one in Korea because they, the prayer warriors there get the remnant. And then I wrote, Unqualified Book, because that's who God uses. He uses the messed up people. Scars on earth are testimonies in heaven. And what you call a tombstone, God calls a mile marker. The place you thought you would die is the place you'll praise him the greatest. See, I want to live somewhere between amen and there it is. Eddie James walked up to me two weeks ago. We were speaking at this outbreak that's happened in North Carolina. And we just keep going back there in Charlotte. And we're going back Thursday, uh, Friday and Saturday of this week, I believe it is. And, but he, he said, 
I, I need to tell you a dream I had about Calvary. Because he and I consider you our dad. Eddie and I together are an Oreo cookie. He's white and I'm black. That's what I tell him. That's truth right there. Don't, don't, don't dance with my truth. But he said, I need to tell you about the move of God that I saw in a dream. And I said, I need to tell you about the dreams I've been having about Calvary. Now, I'm going to tell you in the next minute, I need to get a love us. I got to tell you, I don't... I feel the presence of God so strongly that something's about to come in this room. And at any given moment, the Holy Spirit wants you to know you can come to this altar because the altar is the place where what you've been can get interrupted by, can be interrupted by what you can become. It is the place of transformation. When God spoke to us to put 10,000 altars in homes across America, I didn't know pastors would start sending us pictures every week uh, of, of people come of their own home turning off the TV and, and using the altar. Or one pastor sent me from an amazing church in Ohio, sent me a picture of the altar of a drug addict that's been free for two weeks that every day rather than going to the streets he comes and sits at the altar right there but it's not about a piece of wood it's about a lifestyle so then Karen wrote the book Dehydrated that has swept the world and and God's using her powerfully she'll be in Brazil next month with 20 to 25,000 women in Singapore and all these places And but we're missionaries to America so God said you're going to write a book about restoring the place of the encounter now we know that Jesus became the altar Hebrews 10 Hebrews 13 we know Psalms 118 verse 27 says Tie me to the horns of the altar, which goes to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says, the love of God constrains me. John 15, he's the vine, I'm the branch. But I'm going to take about 15 minutes. Because I want to see what happens tonight, because we're going to lay hands and anoint every single person in the room with oil. We're going to believe for miracles. The lady that recently, when we laid hands on her, uh, she had dementia, and she felt something let go of her brain and got a completely clear mind and set free. The the people we've seen healed of cancer, the deaf ears that have opened. I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but I don't have time for a nap. I believe in them. They are anointed. But if I can, I must warn you for the next few minutes that contents of this message is harmful to your flesh. See, I have learned that men throw away broken things, but God can only use you if you're broken. And I have learned that when you lose your purpose, you begin to embrace passivity. I've come to attack a terrorist called lethargy. Because some of you, hell is sitting at your front door. And the enemy has been barking at you and talking trash to you. And just when we, like when we wrote, we actually wrote in here the chapter called The Breathing Room. We told the story of beautiful Miss Phoenix. We told the story of walking into the hospital. What many would call an ICU unit, God calls an upper room. Where you're walking down the hall and you're just, oh my goodness. But when you turn in, the presence of God overwhelms you. But I must talk about the road to brokenness. Because if we're going to have revival, this is the beginning of it. I, I love what Richard Baxter of Kindermeister said. He, he was my favorite statement. I have it up in my office at home. And, and he said, I preach as never to preach again as a dying man to dying men. And we've watched lately as thousands have come running to the altars. And I don't understand it. I, I don't know why God's doing what he's doing right now. But I, I must tell you, maybe it's because we came to a pl- place of frustration. Have you ever been frustrated? I'm frustrated with our nation. I'm frustrated with churches that have learned how to do it without God. I'm, I'm frustrated with the social gatherings. I'm frustrated with the fact that we've turned many churches. In a, and I love the church. I, I love the bride. But have many churches have turned into plastic surgery hospitals versus emergency rooms. I'm frustrated that truth is a new hate speech. I'm frustrated that the life of a child has been relegated to a voting block. I'm frustrated. How many of you know we, we, we don't serve a donkey or an elephant. We serve a lamb. Somebody shout. And so I'm frustrated that we have gotten so good at doing church that when we get to heaven, we're really going to be out of place. Because if the 24 elders can kneel, we can. Frustrated that we don't understand that the lost are crying out and 
And I live by the mantra of how beautiful are the feet of him who brings the good news that we must. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. And, and that frustration has pushed me to a new level. It's the what happened to Karen and I when we began to write this book. The very day we began to rewrite, rebuild, write Rebuilding the Altar, the, that morning I lost my voice for six weeks. Abby, my gift from God, uh, who uh, began to lose her hearing. Karen came under attack. We've had two cancer scares this year. Crazy things. Uh, lies from the enemy. But see, listen to me. If you're not coming up against the devil, it's because you flow with him. And sitting Christians hatch hypocrites. And some of you, your life is too perfect and it just proves you've not gotten hell's attention. Because I want to get to heaven with nothing left to do and the dash on your tombstone should say it all. But what if I told you there was a place that would change everything, a place that a chance encounter, a place where you come empty but leave full, uh, a place that you come hurting but leave healed, uh, a, a place where you could find what you've been chasing. It wasn't in drugs, it wasn't in alcohol, it wasn't in sex, it wasn't in money, it wasn't in, it's in his presence, his fullness of joy preaching today about the altar. Let me tell you for just a couple of minutes about my favorite altar call after the cross. Because it didn't happen in a church or a synagogue. No, no, no. It took place at a dining room table. See, I must speak to those in this room that have been crying out for more, that have had sleepless nights. and Living in that moment of, I must have an answer, oh God. Those that understand that many times the answer to your frustration is hidden in your destination. Because frustration and agitation are the mother of intercession. That's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7.3. Frustration is good for the heart. But one of my favorite altar calls, you're going to find it. And, and I, I love what Leonard Ravenhill, he's one of my heroes. And and uh, he, he made the statement, the only reason we do not have revival is because we can live without it. But what you have to realize is, I'm going to talk from the third chapter, uh, burning hearts and broken bread. But look at your Bibles very quickly to Luke chapter 24. Luke the 24th chapter. I've learned that you don't have to have an altar call in the church. You can have it on planes. You can have it in a strip club. We have one lady that carries Karen's book into all the strips clubs of St. Louis and takes baskets to all the strippers and sits and ministers to them. And inside of the book is the inside of the basket is the dehydrated book and they're getting saved like crazy. See, you can have an altar call. My father changed our family by having an altar call by a toilet in Detroit, Michigan when he flushed dope down the Kamal. I've had altar calls on the seashores of Singapore, in the in the, the the badlands of Australia. I've had altar calls in the jungles of El Salvador. The greatest altar calls I've ever had is when it's just me and him, not in a crowd. But I love the story. You know, Jesus loved to play peekaboo. How many of you ever played peekaboo? I have two grand grandsons, Jackson and Anderson, and they rule my world. Nate and Adrian are uh, out in California leading a movement out there, and and Jackson and Anderson, they are just my they're just my gifts from God. I mean, they're just crazy. And Jack is a lot like his pappy, and he and I just love to scream. I can be in a restaurant, and if he FaceTimes me, which many times his parents do not know, and I'm very happy when he decides to wear clothes. He'll say, Pappy, I lost my pants. But Jesus played peekaboo. How many of you ever played peekaboo? So that sometimes I'll get on there with Jack. He's three years old. And I'll say, Jack. I'll say, scream as loud as you can because it makes your parents mad. Go for it. Do it. Here you go, Dad. Or I'll say, Jack, your dad's going to take you to the park today. And he'll go, Dad, why do you do this? But I love it when I'm sitting on a plane with Jack or in a restaurant. I kind of forget anybody else is there. And I'll say, we're going to play peekaboo, Jack. And 
and he'll, he'll cover his eyes, and I'll go, peek-a-boo, and he'll open up and see me, and it's silly cute. But you know that Jesus played peekaboo. Do you know why he played peekaboo? In other words, after he resurrected, he would pop into places and pop out of places. He'd show up, then he would disappear. The reason why you do that is because when you play peekaboo with your children, you're actually teaching them, you may not be able to see me, but I'm still here. Even though you can't see me, I haven't gone anywhere. Let's talk about a peekaboo moment. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, looking at verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, oh, I love this verse. Were not our hearts burning? Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked? on the road and open the scriptures up to us. And let's preach the road to brokenness. Burning hearts and broken bread. We're not going to do the video. Let's talk about the road to emancipation. See, listen church, I have learned that and we faced this a bit in the last year. See, the problem is some of you have bought into revival. But revival is when you decide to go past the one place you always stop. It's not people lined up outside. It's wonderful. There's revival in this house, and I don't think you realize it. So let me be the second voice to come and declare it to you, because I believe there's been a first voice to come and declare that it's coming. There's a move coming here, and I think it's here. I don't know. I can't shake it. I'm kind of messed up right now. But see, I've learned that when you're really close to getting free, you're even closer to giving up. Hello, December, Pat and Karen. And we're going, God. Take us to heaven if you're not going to touch America. I'm a missionary to America. Two and a half million miles. I've got to see this thing if it's going to happen. And what if it is the place where God started? I love John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace. He was a slave owner, slave ship owner, had a radical encounter with God, spent the rest of his life rescuing slaves. Wrote Amazing Grace. But I love the quote from him. He said, God often takes a course for accomplishing his purpose directly contrary to what our narrow views would prescribe. He brings a death upon our feeling, wishes and prospects when he's about to give us the desires of our heart. In other words, when you want it, you don't get it. When you don't want it, you get it. Because it's, God can't really trust you with it till you're not around anymore. Till you deflect glory, till you say, I don't want to be a part of it. Because see, the church in America has learned to worship the anointing, but they're afraid of the glory. The anointing is God's touch upon you that he places upon you when you were a, when you became a believer. It's an empowerment. It's, it's another word for grace. It's God's kiss upon your life. But the glory is when it's not about a stage presence or a celebrity or somebody you know or somebody that can bring in or somebody that's got their great social media following. No, the glory is Papa's overcoat. It's when he walks in the room and says, Pat, get out of the way. Karen, get out of the way. Uh, George, Phyllis, get out of the way. It's when he comes in and lays on the room. And it's not. You don't even remember who spoke. Now, let me give you some background. Jesus has died. He has been dead for three days. The Romans are searching for him. They are spreading rumors. The disciples stole his body into this day. That rumor exists according to God's word. And, and so everyone is in hiding. The disciples are in hiding. Their pictures are up in the post office. They have joined this renegade band. And now they are wanted. And everyone is hiding. And all of a sudden, the Bible says there are two disciples that are walking down the road. One is named Cleopas. His name means glory of the Father. They're on a road. They are quitting the ministry. They're going on vacation. They're burnout and a half years before everything was perfect but then they get interrupted by the messiah he said crazy things like drop your nets i'll make you a fisher of men 
He had gathered these nobodies with him. They were just good Jews up until this point. Religious, some of them. And now they have seen miracles. They have seen signs of wonders. And he has just died and they are done. They are burnt out. They are on their way to a place called Emmaus, which means warm springs. They're going on vacation. They're quitting. They're on a seven mile journey and they're walking down the road. Cleopas, who is actually Joseph's brother, the earthly father of Jesus, is walking with another uh, one of the disciples. And as they're walking along, they're really scared. They're really worried because they are wanted. They are a part of a renegade group. You know what I've learned? The mundane can be the seductress for the supernatural. This sounds very contrary to what a preacher should say. I understand that. But I was so glad to see the weather this morning. Because I'm tired of people that come to church only on sunny days. I want somebody that will get out of bed. And if there's a tornado about to drop on us, I'm going to church, baby. I'm going to have my encounter. I am not going to sit back because it's amazing how pretty it is on Saturday versus Sunday most of the time. So you have to understand, I was looking for the ones that would come in this room that are saying, I am ready for a move of God regardless of what I have to face, regardless of what time we get out. Somebody give him a shout. And the Bible goes on to say, now that same day, and I'll hurry. Now that same day, the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Can I just stop you right there and say, you better know who you're walking with. Spirits beget spirits. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Misery loves comfort. Gossipers love lamb's meat, and preachers usually walk alone. greatest problem in the body of Christ is unity. So when I hear about the worship team coming together the last couple of days and I'm being anointed and praying for this service, something got on me. Most of us don't even know the power of agreement of Matthew 18, 19. I can't even live my life without power of agreement with Karen. Without Philippians 4, 6 every day, God, we come into agreement for this, for this, for this. Understanding Amos chapter 3, how do two walk together unless they come into agreement? see, the problem is some of you don't understand. Never negotiate your anointing away because you believe God's not there. I'm going to say it again. Never negotiate your anointing away because you think God isn't watching. We have a sign in, in, in our hallway at our house, and it's just a simple sign. We hung up. We found it somewhere at a store. And it says, until God opens the next door, worship in the hallway. Give him a praise. He's a big God. But see, I've also learned when you have no authority, you have no enemies. <laughs> I'm going to drop word bombs on your day and just see if you awake because God's about to move. We wait for you. And suddenly they're interrupted by freedom. Have you ever been interrupted by a freedom? Because the Bible says in Luke 24, verse 15, suddenly Jesus walks up. My favorite altar call after the cross. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Has your battle become so intense that you don't realize he's still there? He was right there all the time. You know, the, I, I love Psalm 51, 16 in the Message Bible. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered, heart shattered, lives ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. Listen to me, church, because I'm preaching something to you. Your issue is blinding your deliverance. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 17, Jesus walks up to him. This is so cool. This is, like, really cool because Jesus is kind of funny here. He walks up to him and he says, What are you discussing together as you walk along? Modern turn. He walks up and goes, Sup? Sup? That's what he does. They stood there, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one? He's about to get cocky with Jesus. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now watch this response. 
Here's Jesus. Holes in his hands. Rocks coming up through his foot. Kind of a gap in the side. When he waves his arms, it goes whistling. Jesus all of a sudden goes, what things? (laughs) What things? They were so wrapped up in their issue, they could not see the one. What things? And they go on to say, well, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. Church, you have to understand where you need to realize that weary or worry is not intercession, it's intermission. And the Bible goes on to say in Luke 24, verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to the beast, sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. We had hoped. Hope, meaning it was past tense. I thought he was going to do what he said he was going to do. But, you know, I think some of us need to realize if we talked, if, if my kids talked about me the way we talk about God the Father, I would be arrested. Well, God made me sick. He just wanted me to grow from that. God got my son arrested. Let me tell you something. You have no idea with your orphan spirit running around trying to declare the identity of my father. Because if you realized how big my God was, you would change everything you do. We wouldn't even have to give an offering invitation. You'd be running up here throwing it down. You wouldn't even have to beg you to come to church. Because in his presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand. So you got to understand, forsake not that. there, there, There comes a mind shift when you begin to realize who your papa is. I wake up in the morning time, go into my prayer room and say, good morning, dad. Let's talk. It's a mind shift. It's an understanding. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's been three days. Somebody shout three days. Can you see this? They're doubting the promises of God. Verse 22 through 24, they go on and begin to explain all this different stuff. The angels were there at the tomb. Have you ever seen angels? I've had a couple of encounters like that. Once I was preaching in in New Zealand in a big uh, conference, and, and I preached on the rain of God, and it started raining in the building. It's happened to me twice. And, and all of a sudden, I go up to the, to the green room upstairs there in New Zealand, and they bring pictures up to me after the service, and they said, we need to show you this. I said, what? I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still in awe that it rained in the building. And, 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 and they showed me a picture uh, of the service. And there's faces of angels all over the building. But the Bible says, they said, yes, even an, uh, some women saw an angel. Church, there comes a point where you don't want to see an angel. You want to see him. He had risen had they forgotten in their doubt. Had the noise of their disappointment become louder than the promise of the resurrection? In John 2, 19, he had said, destroy this temple, I'll raise it back up. Matthew 20, verse 19, on the third day, he had promised them. They had just seen the greatest altar call in history. Jesus became the lamb. And now they were doubting from Sunday to Wednesday. By Wednesday, they had backslidden. When is God, when are you going to be quit being a bipolar bride that treats him You love him when he does good things, but if he isn't there to entertain you, you don't know if you want to stay married. Is it okay if I say this? Because in a minute, in a moment, he's coming. He's coming. He just whispered to me, he's coming in here. There's not another house I believe in more in this nation or in this world than God. This is our birthing place. Your wavering is causing wandering. In Luke 24, 25, he said to them, How foolish are you? How slow you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. And then he goes on and gives his complete resume. He's like, all right, boys, let's do this. And he walks them through the resume of the Messiah. He explained to them what was said. 
this, this isn't new. This is what Elijah did when the spirit of Elijah better come back to America. What is the spirit of Elijah or else the land is cursed? The Bible says in Malachi 4 verse 6, the spirit of Elijah must come. Turn the hearts of fathers, children, children back to the fathers. What is the spirit of Elijah? Confront Jezebel, manipulation. Rebuild the altar and anoint the Elishas. Because every time you plant an altar in God's word, it rains. And then you have to have a farmer, the Elisha. So we've got to raise up the next generation, the Elishas. People ask me, why do you carry altars all over America? Do you know how hard it is to get this through customs? <laughs> I must admit, when we've been to Brazil and Portugal and these other places and we carry altars, I kind of abandoned my staff. I'm like, I'll see you on the other side. Get it, just get it through. They've been detained anyway. Why would you bring an altar to our nation? But Elijah said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, you must serve him. But they said nothing. Hello, America. He's not a fair-weathered friend. Remember, that's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Saved on Sunday and act like hell on Monday? No, I don't talk like that, Pat. I know. The mundane can be the seductress of the super got another ball game, another travel ball, another soccer tournament. Before you know it, you don't feel the pull to come back and be in his presence anymore. Your tank gets filled with the mundane. James 4, verse 4, Message Bible, I love what it says. It says, don't cheat on God. He's a fiercely jealous lover. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you, James 4. And I'll close with this. Don't leave without him. The Bible says in Luke 24, verse 28, as they were approaching the village, they came to a crossroad. Jesus continued on as if he were going further. Karen writes a story in Rebuilding the Altar about we had been on the road for two weeks as evangelists, 1997. We had just left here, and we were preaching at a church here in Alabama, and it God began to move, and it went a second week, which is awesome because we didn't have a second week scheduled anywhere. And so we're at this church week before it broke out I didn't know what I was doing I had four sermons worship is going on and Karen, it's before Karen began to have prophetic visions and dreams and a sleep disorder called revelation and before God began to use her like that and all of a sudden during worship worship is going and God is moving and she sees the vision of a, of a mighty warrior on a horse riding towards the church She said his worship would get intense and people were lost in praise. He would be coming faster, but then they would begin to stop worshiping for a moment and be thinking about things and he would slow down. The Bible says never be lacking in zeal, but to put on spiritual fervor. It means a warrior with a painted face riding into battle. A revelation says, describes him as a mighty warrior. But as he almost, she said, Pat, I expected him to burst through the back doors of this church. But his worship in, Pastor came. When we went on with the rest of the service, and she said, and I saw the horse stop outside the door, and the rider pull up and turn. The Bible says as they were approaching the village, Jesus continued as if he were going farther, but they urged him, and they said, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over so he went in to stay with them. Can I just say to you something? There are moments where Jesus is waiting on the invitation. Stop having church without him. 
We've raised a solid generation that loves worship more than word because it soothes their demons. We've raised a generation that has learned how to put the Holy Spirit out in the streets as a beggar and the preachers turn to an actor and the audience determines the message. We've raised a generation that doesn't really, they, they're screaming for it. I mean, I can walk into a room and see 5,000 kids instantly filled with the Holy Ghost. It's my generation that are afraid of because somewhere along the way, you believed more in the supernatural of Hollywood than in the power of God. And God says, I'm looking for someone that will stand up and simply understand that I'm about to pour out my spirit and I Watch what happens because uh, the loss of the altar call in the American church is called caused a wandering Jesus. But he's going to show up if it's in the barrios or the ghetto. He'll show up if you don't want to let him in your nice palaces in America. That's fine. He's going to show up. But what I love about Calvary is he is here. I walked through the door over here and I went, "Whoa, wow, what is going on here? Something's about to break out." When Eddie James walked up to me and said, "Read the dream I had about Calvary. It is coming to Calvary." But see, you've been through a battle for the last decade and that's why he's here because you can't do it on your own anymore but I love what happens right here the Bible says that Jesus is walking they go this direction he goes this direction and they, he just like alright cool he starts walking this way and they turn around and they go hey um you buddy please stay please stay and Jesus turned around and he walked in. He said, cool, I've been waiting on you to invite me. And they walked to the house. And they walked into the house. Oh, you're not getting this just yet. The altar of brokenness produces change. Can I say something to you? Don't leave without him. There's a moment where you say, I'm not, I'm begging you. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I'm begging you to understand. And the Bible says in Luke 24, verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he walks in. He sat down in the Messiah's chair. Every Jewish household has a Messiah's chair. It's at the table. No one can sit in it. He sits down in it. I bet they were about to protest till he reaches over and he says, let's pray. And he gave thanks. And at the moment he reaches up and he picks up the bread, the body, and they, they don't even know what to, I mean, this dude's taking over. He's in my house. He's sitting in the Messiah's chair. And all of a sudden at that moment, he reaches up and when he breaks the bread, to walk to the valley of Baca, valley of weeping. Hebrews says Jesus wept every day. The last 22 years, many accolades. Accolades won't change you. I don't remember accolades. I hate him. standing over my sister's dead body that I changed. Standing in an orphanage holding my baby that I changed. It's on my knees in Baylor Hospital when my son's going into a nine-hour spinal surgery that I changed. It's walking into an IC unit. Children's in Birmingham. Seeing grandma and her mama over in the corner, worship playing. When we walked in the door, all we saw was hands raised. And so, da 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 ba, da 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 ba. And I went, I'm, I'm done. Please don't miss tonight. We're going to tell you how to get hell out of your house. We're going to tell you how we almost lost our son. We wait for you. I dare you to stand up. I'm looking for one person that has enough guts and boldness and passion to scream, please stay. But I want to warn you when you do it. Don't do it unless you're real. But the minute you say it, you're going to get wrecked. What'd you say? What did you say? Say it again. Say it again. 
Why are you clapping? Why are you not doing it? Louder! doors please he just walked in open both doors if you're desperate for God if you have sin in your life you know what to do I won't be held in contempt of my office as an evangelist in a moment. I will give you an opportunity. But if you're desperate for God, run to the altar now. If you can't get on your knees, that's okay. Just, if you have to just walk through the door. Come on. Get out of your chairs and come down. Come on. Come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. Come change your family history. Rewrite your spiritual DNA this morning. And when he took, look at me, look at me. Here comes the Holy Spirit. When he took and he broke the bread, their eyes were open and they said, we're not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road. And then he was gone. And next thing you know, they get up and run to the upper room. And Luke 24 says that when they get to the upper room, they testified that when he broke the bread, he was there in their midst. It's in the breaking. Somebody cry out, break me, God. Here we are standing in your presence. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Spirit. You say, y'all do that here? Yes, we do. We can't live without him. Please stay. Please stay. Cry out, please stay. If you have sin in your life, you wandered from God. Please, what are you doing? He was there the whole time. You just didn't see him because you hadn't broken yet. If you'd have been broken, you'd have saw him. But if you have sin in your life all over this house, lift your hands and say, change me, God. Forgive me, God. Cleanse me, God. Give me a revelation of you, God. Say it. Forgive me, God. Here we are standing in your presence. Please stay. No music. 
Scream it again. Keep doing that. Keep doing what he's doing. Say he's doing it right over here. Who's saying that? Who's saying that? I can hear him saying, please stay. Somebody's saying, please stay and won't stop. Who's, I need somebody. Who is, who is the man that was saying that right here? The gentleman. Come on louder. I need to hear you. Who will cry out, please stay. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Somebody that'll cry out and simply say. Somebody that'll cry out and simply say. Somebody that'll cry out and simply say. Somebody that'll cry out. You can't do it on your own, man. Please stay. If you need God to invade your home, your finances, your health, scream it out. Please stay. Please stay. told me something. Bodies are about to be healed. We wait for you. We wait for you. this for your home. Say, please stay. Say, please stay. We wait for you. thing I feel like from the Holy Spirit. God wants to invade your home. 
whose home's been under attack. I want you, when you walk into your house this afternoon and prepare for tonight, don't you miss tonight. Tonight's miracle night. You say, oh, that's just hype to get us here. Let me tell you something. I'm better than that, and so are you. I'm coming to gather together as one bride for miracles. And what I want you to understand is the Spirit of the Lord wants to invade your house today. I double dog dare you to walk to your front porch of your house, your trailer, your apartment, wherever you live. And open the front door and say, please stay. Walk into your baby's bedroom that's running from the Lord or that husband or that wife or whatever the issue is, that grandmother that lives with you. Or the enemy's taking her mind. Man, I've never said this. Is there a caregiver in this room for a senior adult? I don't know where you're at. Raise your hands. God wants to minister to you right now because you're tired. I have never said that in a service in my whole life. He wants to restore. He wants to give time back. If you need God to invade your house and you don't really give a rip what anybody thinks, because I don't. We moved into our new home in Fort Worth. First thing we took in our house before the trucks were unloaded was our altar. And we followed at that altar more this year. When the doctor said to Karen, we're going to send you for these tests because you've got these connectivity diseases going on. You've got possibly lupus, all this other stuff. You've got cancer on your shoulder, cancer on your back. I just said enough. We walked in the bedroom. And then the reports came back negative on all that other stuff. I want to do something as one bride. And I, I think that Oh, okay. When some of you go to walk out the door out there, you're going to stumble in his presence. Never said that before either. You're going to walk past people that are coming in for second service, and they're going to get wrecked, and you're going to reach up and lay hands on them. Never said that before in 22 years. I'm talking about a world outbreak, a Holy Ghost worldwide outbreak that it is possible there's a reason why the sign says epicenter. So as one bride and one body, when I count to three, would you lift your hands? And if you gave your heart to Christ today, don't you go back. You don't possess the right to walk away. To doubt he's not there. Don't negotiate your your anointing away because you don't think he's close by. You're always 15 seconds or 15 minutes from compromise and 15 seconds from his presence. Take the shorter route. But when I count to three, would you lift your hands and simply scream? Please stay. The Lord spoke to us. This would be the Joel 2.12 year. We started with Emily. She shared it with us on a Sunday afternoon and it's been nonstop. What does it say in Joel 2.12? Yet even now. Return to me with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and I will relent, and I will have compassion on you. Then you'll have a Joel 2.28 in the last days. He poured it out. Lift your hands. When I count to three, scream, please stay. One. Two. As loud as you can. As one body, one body, one unity. The bride coming together. The tree of life. The unity life. When I say three, scream, please stay and get ready for it to reverberate, for reverberate from your toes to your head. Heal your body, heal your heart and your mind. One, two, three.